You know, we're having a good time uh, walking through this Getting Ready for the End of the World series. And um, what we found the first week we took this unscientific poll is about a third of you believe Jesus' return is imminent, about two-thirds believe, eh, and, and we want to speak to the eh side of the spectrum because we, we want to imply that there's a reason for urgency. We don't want to be obsessive, compulsive over end time stuff, but we want to suggest there's always a moment in our lives that we need to live with urgency, and these are the days. Um, and, and really, it's not so much trying to predict or prophesy the future. Our, our theme here, our emphasis, is what we do while we wait. And hopefully you're uh, enjoying what we've done. We're going to talk about a vision today, the vision. I'm going to ask you rhetorically, you don't have to answer aloud, have you ever received a God-inspired vision? And maybe it was mystical, and maybe it was in a dream. You know, in the Middle East today, Muslims are con converting to Jesus by the hundreds, if not thousands, because they're seeing dreams and visions of Jesus. I mean, it's a consistent pattern. That's another story for another day. It's incredible. Maybe it's a mystical vision. Maybe it's a practical vision. And why we want to focus on vision today and the other weeks of the series is that God gave John a vision one day 2,000 years ago. He penned it. It was Holy Spirit inspired. We call it Revelation. And it's pretty tough to decipher if you've ever really explored it. Here's the situation to which he wrote. It was late in the first century and Christians were being persecuted, uh, even dying because of their allegiance to Jesus. And John wanted to pen a letter that would inspire Christians not to predict the future, but endure the present. And yes, there's some predictive prophecy perhaps laced throughout Revelation, but fundamentally it was a book designed to communicate God is still on the throne. He's still in control. He's still got you. And so it was an important vision. There's a composite vision I want to share with you this morning out of three chapters of Revelation, chapter 4, 5, and 7. And what John wants to do to encourage the Christians to endure is he wants to have them imagine the throne room of God. And, and there's no doubt God still desires that you have a picture, a collage, a composite of images that allow us to actually understand our future. Let me try to create the picture and use your imaginations and maybe you'll catch the vision of John. First envision a sea of glass. It stretches as far as the eye can see. And as you look beyond the sea of glass into the distance, there's a throne. And God, whether he sits on the throne, God is spirit, somehow he hovers over the throne, on the throne in a way, with an indescribable brilliance of multicolored lights. There's a rainbow encircling the throne. It looks like emerald. There are 24 thrones seated around the greatest throne, where 24 elders are present. They're seated on the thrones. Perhaps they, they were the patriarchs of Israel or Old Testament heroes of the faith. Perhaps they're heroes of the church. They're dressed in white and they have crowns of gold on their heads. They encircle the great throne. From the throne, I, we don't have the special effects working today, so you have to envision this. 
Um, there was around the throne uh, flashes of lightning, peals of thunder, seven blazing lamps encircling the throne. And the Lamb of God is there, Jesus, the Redeemer of humanity. He's somehow standing in the center, says Revelation. He's standing in the center of the throne. And around the great throne, and John described this a few weeks ago, actually showed a couple of artist renditions. There are four living creatures, strange, majestic creatures. One looks like a lion, one looks like an ox, one looks like a man, and one like an eagle. They're covered with eyes, front and back. And then picture this, there are thousands upon thousands of angels encircling the throne. Ten thousands upon ten thousands. And they're joined in the Revelation vision of chapter four and five by every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and in the sea. And they're singing praises together. This great multitude of created beings praising Jesus who was slain, but who's conquered death. Do you catch that vision? And then John goes on to say this. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, identifiable. They're identifiable. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, they were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. They fell down on their knees before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. The vision of the throne room of God in Revelation inspires us to realize that regardless of what happens, he's still on the throne. Jesus, the Lamb of God that suffered and died for those first century Christians, he suffered and died for you has risen and intercedes for us in that great throne room. And nothing, nothing can separate us from his love. Have you ever had a vision? Uh, I'm not talking about your favorite sports team in the Super Bowl. That's my obligatory Super Bowl reference. You know, if you're a Bears fan, they call that a delusion, not a vision. <laughs> No, it's a faith vision inspired by God. And possibly, um, it's a practical or mystical vision where God communicates where you're to go next in life. It's an opportunity perhaps you, only you can uniquely fulfill. Um, it's a picture of what ministry for the kingdom's sake he's calling you to pursue. It may be what God is calling you to be. There are turning points and moments in life that God may speak. And I just want us to be aware that God has a vision for us. Those practical or mystical visions. I've, I'm not the most mystical guy. So maybe God speaks to me in practical terms with practical visions. 
But I remember it well. In October of 1989, I went to a conference in Chicago at a church called the Willow Creek Community Church. And while I sat there, and I've sat through a lot of seminars, I've taken a lot of notes, gone to a lot of conferences through the year, there was a moment in that conference where God, in practical terms, said to me, you want to be a part of a dynamic ministry, this is what it is. It's a fully functioning biblical community. And I went on to learn what that looked like based on a passage in Acts chapter 2. And that moment was anchored for me. And I wouldn't have described it as a visionary moment, but the fact is God anchored that picture in my mind. And to this very day, my ultimate goal as a pastor is living out the vision I got in October 1989. How about you? Is God perhaps offering you a vision? See, it's a consequence of our faith and belief in Jesus. It may inspire us. It may teach us how to endure. It may do all of those things. It may even happen in this room. I want to share with you a vision that one of our uh, sisters in Christ had in this very room, right over there. And it's a mystical vision, and some of us may not be familiar or comfortable with it, but they happen in the lives of people of faith, as do practical visions. Uh, Just watch and ponder. I'm Jeannie Boyd, and uh, my family and I have been uh, members of this church for over 30 years. There was a wonderful experience that came to this church that I want to share with you. Um, It started on a Sunday morning about two years ago when we came into church and my husband said to me, let's not sit here, let's sit over on the left-hand side. Well, we did. And it seemed to be part of God's plan. Uh, We went through the entire service And at the end, we were on the last song. And I just loved the song. And so I closed my eyes so I could just listen to it. And when I I opened my eyes, because there was a huge white light that was coming in. And I looked, opened up and looked. And here was Jesus. And he was standing at the front and he was standing against the front wall and his height was touching the ceiling. He was that tall. He was that huge and I couldn't take my eyes off of him. I could no longer hear the singing of the congregation. I could not see the congregation. They were under fluffy white clouds, and it was quiet, and it was wonderful. And Jesus started moving towards me, and I moved towards him. I don't remember walking, but I was moved. Jesus moved forward, and he became probably five feet 
uh, 10 to 6 feet tall so that I felt connected to him rather than Jesus remaining uh, very tall. He didn't at this point say anything to me, but he offered his hands up. And this becomes important because his hands were not the normal color of our flesh, but they were stripes, very fine stripes. And they were moving along his hands and they were black and some were white and some were red. The black, the sin of the world, the white is the purity of Jesus Christ, and the red is the blood that he shed for the sins of that world. He went and he turned slightly right and stood out over the congregation. And I stayed where I was. We were probably 20 feet apart. And as he stood there, he laid out his hands, but, and he bowed his head ever so slightly. And he stayed in that position for probably 30 seconds. And I knew then, I knew that he was blessing the church and the congregation. And he turned and he came back about three feet from me, walked in front of me, very gently turned his head toward me. And he said to me, I am pleased. And I knew that he was talking about this church and what wonderful things we, were, we had in store and how we were going to look to him for our leadership. There is a scripture in Psalm that said, I have seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and your glory. And that's what he was showing me, that he wanted this church, I believe, to know that he was here and he is with us constantly, and he's at every service, and he is leading us, he is guiding us, he is taking care of us, he's protecting us, he's teaching us, and he's loving us, and he is just looking for, for his children to follow him and to know him and to serve him. There is so much we can do to serve him. He continued going and he walked into a darkness, just solid black, so black, but he, he floated into it and he got smaller and smaller and smaller and the angels came back to escort him and see to his needs. And that's the story of how Jesus came to this church and visited us. Interesting, isn't it? If we make ourselves available to the presence of God, you never know what type of vision he may endow us with. 
It may be practical, it may be mystical. There's a twofold purpose of the vision in Revelation 7. It was to inspire them and us with a hope to endure regardless of what we may be experiencing. And secondly, when we get a glimpse of the throne room, it changes our perspective in how we approach God together in worship. Because my guess is, historically, when we come together in this place, we're a lot more interested in seeing who's around us than envisioning the throne room of God. God high and lifted up, the tens of thousands of angels, the living creatures, the multitude surrounding the throne. That's the image that God desires we bring to these very moments in worship. And I would suggest if you begin to develop that vision, in this place, it will transform how you approach your worship here. So this morning, what I want you to do is envision the throne room as you worship and picture yourself as a participant within that worshiping community. And in front of you, or not a band and some vocalists, but in front of you, in all of his majesty, is the Father, the creator of the universe, the Son, the Lamb that was slain, ready to pour out upon you his love. And if you can catch the vision just a little this morning, it may forever change how you worship. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray for your vision as it was 2,000 years ago in those first century Christians in the midst of persecution with no escape. Lord, allow us to catch the vision of Revelation 4, 5, and 7 of the throne room of God the Father and Christ the Son and the Spirit. Lord, we come to your throne room with a vision for worship today and for eternity. Lord, we want to honor and praise you and give you glory for all that you are and all that you've done. In Christ's name, amen. If we catch the vision of the throne room, it changes how we approach our time here together, and it will also go a long way to helping you endure through the difficult times. For just a few minutes yet, I want to complete the vision of the throne room in heaven. And back to Revelation 7, we're going to read for our official passage today, uh, the 13th through the 17th verses. And I want you to, again, listen carefully and, and read in your Bibles or on the screens, because this is one of those rare descriptions of the realities of heaven. And whether you treat this literally or symbolically, it gives you a picture of what we can anticipate on that great day when we're reunited with those who've gone before us in the presence of God. Uh, Jody Worthington has volunteered to read for us today. Jody, if you don't mind uh, just stepping up, and you know what we do here as we stand to face the middle of the room for the reading of God's Word, because it's central to who we are. It's central to our vision. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they, and where did they come from? I answered, Sir, you know. And he said, These are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. 
Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. Never again will they hunger, never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Thanks so much, Jody. You can have a seat. John adds to the images of Revelation the white-robed saints who have passed through what he calls the Great Tribulation or a Tribulation. And to help us understand that simply because we believe in Jesus doesn't uh, minimize the reality of suffering. It doesn't deliver us from pain. But the revelation of John and the vision he tries to create for us is all about sustaining us and carrying us through whatever comes our way. Another word for salvation here is victory. There is victory in this vision that ultimately God's saints are vindicated having passed through the tribulation. Whatever your tribulation has been, there will be victory. Those of us that have passed through just a variety of struggles from the loss of loved ones and terminal illness, the chaos of life relationally, the pain of our situation, the vision of the throne room and the vision of heaven is there so you can see, so you can believe that God will carry you through. Now recognizing, and this is one of the things that struck me early on in life, that um, what I read about heaven early on is I'm going to serve him day and night for eternity. I'm going to sing praises day and night for eternity. What if I don't like to sing? Fellas, you know what eternity is like for you? You're going to be singing for the rest of eternity. Now, you want to vote that up or down right now? Or if I say, you know, we'll be golfing for eternity and never get a bogey. We'll be hunting for the rest of eternity with no limits. We'll be fishing for eternity, catch and release, perhaps. Whatever you eat in heaven will be no calorie. For those of you Twinkie and Cupcake fans, for eternity, and you'll never gain an ounce. And all God's people said, no, 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 you don't want that. Maybe more people would come to Jesus if they thought eternity would look like that and taste like that. But we need to remember in the vision, and this is where we're so limited in our finite experience, in the vision, everything is turned upside down. And even while we're here on earth, our tastes and preferences evolve as we mature, as we grow. And I would imagine, we can only imagine based upon the visions that one day when time is irrelevant and priorities as we know them have been flipped upside down, what we do there will have even greater meaning and greater purpose and greater fulfillment than anything we could ever imagine here. And some of us have lived great lives. The vision of heaven is far more exhilarating than your greatest vacation. It's more thrilling than your team winning the Super Bowl, again, second obligatory Super Bowl reference. 
It's more fulfilling than the moments of your greatest rewards or successes. It transcends all of that. Do you have the vision? Because I think sometimes we're so locked into the moment and the urgency of today. We will experience more overwhelming love in heaven for eternity than anything we could ever imagine here. And many of us have been loved deeply and have expressed great love. And it will be a spectacular moment when we're reunited with all of those saints, those biblical personalities, Old and New Testament, we've always wanted to meet, to hear their stories who've gone before us. And we can only imagine the reunion with family members who've gone before us. Uh, my dad, the preacher, was the loudest singer I have ever sat around in church. He had this operatic vibrato baritone voice and didn't care what your volume was, he just belted it out. And I remember on those rare occasions we sat together feeling, hey, hey, hey. How embarrassing. But I can picture him belting it out as part of the multitude. And, and if he could lead part of it, he'd lead part of it. But I have that picture of my dad. There's so many that we've loved. There's so many even before, from generations before, that we've never met. And there are so many that will follow us in the years to come. All part of this great multitude in, in white robes, singing praises, never ending before the Lamb and the throne. And here's the question, can you see them? Can you see them? Can you see them? Because that is the vision that Revelation wants to pour out onto our hearts and minds, and it will change us. You, you may not receive the vision the way Jeannie Boyd received the vision. To me, that's rarefied air, quite frankly, all my years. doesn't happen often, but the vision of Revelation can be anyone's in this room, and it will change us. The latest addition to that vision is a fellow named John McCandless who just passed away a couple of weeks ago. There's a good chance, even if you don't know who he was, you saw him in the octagon greeting. He loved to talk. If he talked with you, there was a chance you might be late to the service. But he loved you. He loved the people of TFRC. He loved to greet. And you could never miss his smile. And my vision of heaven, as of two weeks ago, was transformed by another degree as I see John in that crowd, singing praise, doing whatever we'll be doing for eternity. Revelation 7 is one of those interesting descriptions of heaven it says we will be safe in the shelter of God himself. The word shelter translates into tabernacle. For some of you, that means something. God tabernacles. He shelters. He protects. He covers us. We'll be talking about the new heaven and the new earth in a few weeks. It's an incredible extension of this vision. But God is there to shelter us. And there will come a day, my friends, for those of us who believe in Jesus, 
that there will be no more brokenness. There will be no more brokenness. There will be no more anxiety. There will be no more tears. Are you ready for that moment? Until then, we live with the vision of what this incredible scene allows us to see. Do you have a faith-inspired vision? Again, it may be a, a, a sense of what God wants you to do in the future. It simply may be the vision of the throne room of God that God's introduced to you perhaps for the first time this morning. If we believe in Jesus, if we're willing to be obedient, we don't have to be perfect, just the willingness to obey. If we're surrendered to his will, God has a vision for us. God has a vision for you. And in a moment in which we sense that God is attempting to speak or prompt or move, you may experience the vision he has for you. Practical or mystical, present or future, See, getting ready for the end of the world involves taking to heart the visions of revelation that, will that are designed to equip you to handle, to endure, to emerge victorious anything. And right now, that may seem like a long shot to you. They're written so that we might be inspired as well to worship him, to come into the throne room together every Lord's Day morning until that great day when we're ushered into his presence ourselves. And that, my friends, will be an amazing moment. Getting ready for the end of the world involves being on alert for the faith-inspired vision that God's going to send your way. And until Jesus returns on that last and greatest day, we will worship with all the multitudes who've gone before us, who now stand before God in the throne, inspiring us to do the same on earth. It's what we do while we wait. Would you pray with me? Lord, I pray that you'll endow us with a vision. It may be sophisticated and complex and need to be interpreted, or it simply may be the picture of Revelation 4, 5, and 7 that allows us to come to worship but see things differently. Father, I pray that you'll bless us all with a vision of what you have in store for us, short-term, long-term, and for eternity. And right now, we just want to close by giving you all the glory and honor and praise that you're due as we picture you on the throne, the Lamb of God as well, the multitudes surrounding you, the ten thousands of angels all doing what we're about to do together, worshiping. It's in his name we pray, amen.